people good morning um i keep changing my backgrounds to do these recorded sermons partially because uh i have a, a lot of people in our house right now and it's a little bit challenging to find a quiet spot so i'm out in the garage and uh i will say that i am doing pretty well um that the covid-19 that i've had i seem to be 99% or so uh, symptom-free right now. I don't have much of a cough. I haven't run a fever uh, since last week. I'm doing okay, but I'm still trying to keep myself quarantined because I don't want to spread it to anybody else. So I'm not going to be there in person this coming Sunday, um, but I still wanted to present to you and to wrap up my lessons on Jesus is King. And we've talked about how we are to submit to Jesus as our King, how we're to honor Jesus as our King. But this last one is maybe the most challenging because it is to love Jesus as our King. And here's the thing. I can't convince you to do that. I can't preach a sermon that tells you you better love Jesus as king. And then you say, oh, yes, of course, Colby, I'll start doing that. That's, that's not how it works. There's a famous scripture in John chapter 1 whenever Philip sees Jesus and he runs and he goes and tells Nathaniel. And Nathaniel quotes the famous line, can anything good come from Nazareth? Whenever Philip says, hey, I found Jesus the Nazarene, I think he may be the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, ah, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip's line is perfect. And it's the same line I want to convey to you now. It's really the same line. I hope all of my teaching, all of my preaching, all of my sermons kind of tie into, and that is, come and see. Philip didn't try to convince Nathaniel that something good could come from Nazareth. All he said was, come and see. I can't, I cannot show you how wonderful Jesus is. I cannot fully present to you what an amazing king he is, the Messiah, the Lord. All I can say is, come and see. And that's all you can say. And some people, sometimes we get a little bit intimidated with the idea of evangelism, of sharing the message of our king, of spreading the good news of his victory. And it can be intimidating because we think, well, I need to have the right answers or I need to be able to convince people. And I think it's not our job. Not our job to convince people. All we say is, come and see. Come and meet my Jesus. Let's open up scripture and let the words of scripture Tell us who Jesus is and to read Jesus' words himself, to be in his presence, to watch his miracles, to hear his amazing teachings and his parables. All those things should really incite love inside of us. It should make us want to submit and honor our king, but also we can't help it. We love our king. We have the greatest king there has ever been or ever will be. And whatever king in history might have been worthy of some kind of love from his people, 
we have one so much better. There's actually a really cool story about King David that I want to share with you. Uh, King David had 30 mighty men, 30 of his champions, of his strongest warriors that he relied on in battle. 30 men who were men of renown. And three especially uh, were incredibly famous and later became generals in his armies. 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting at verse 13. At that time of the harvest, three of the thirty went down to David at the cave of Adullam. A band of Philistines was camped in the valley of Raphaim. David was in the stronghold at the time, while the Philistine garrison was in Bethlehem. David was thirsty and said, How I wish someone would give me some water to drink from the cistern in Bethlehem near the gate. Now remember, David was from Bethlehem. That's where he grew up. And so he's close to Bethlehem, but can't get there. He's in a battle. The Philistines have taken control of Bethlehem. And he just thinks to himself, man, a drink of water from home would be so good. Ah, that would really hit the spot. And maybe he just says it in passing as he walks by his men there in the cave. But these three men, his three mighty men, they hear him. And so the three elite warriors broke through the Philistine forces and drew some water from the cistern in Bethlehem near the gate. They carried it back to David. And I kind of envisioned these guys, the three back to back to back with their swords and their spears and their shields, fighting their way through the Philistine ranks, getting there, drawing the water while two of them are still fighting them off and then carrying it back giving it to David, and oh man, proud of themselves. Oh, here, David, you're our king. You wanted this water? It's your water. They carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. He poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, I will not do this. It is equivalent to the blood of the men who risked their lives by going. So he refused to drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men, of the three elite warriors. They brought this cup back to David, and David very simply expressed, I'm not worthy of this, guys. Only God's worthy. He poured it out as a drink offering to the, to the Lord. That kind of a king. You know, we, we talk about power going to your head, and David... He's not immune from that. We read stories, especially with him and Bathsheba, and Uriah was actually Bathsheba's husband, the one that he killed. Uriah was one of his 30 mighty men. But in this story, in the cave here, David shows his honor. David shows his willingness to submit to the Lord. And he poured the water out and I don't know about you, but that makes me love King David all the more. Other stories like Bathsheba that tainted his legacy, not so much, but this one, or the story of him and Goliath, to hear those stories about King David would make people, would make these mighty men join his forces and hide out with them in caves and go fight wherever they needed to fight because they didn't just submit to David. They didn't just honor David. They loved 
David. For we're willing to risk everything to bring him a cup of water. And David proved to be worthy of that love when he took it and poured it out on the ground. Maybe in a shocking way that surprised them, but showing them what a real king is like, what a good king is like. And to have a good king means that we should love a good king. And who do we have but Jesus himself? See, the Israelites had been waiting for a king like David for a long time. David was a king that inspired love in their hearts, and yet David's son Solomon, not quite as good. He was very, very wise, but started Israel on a trajectory, and eventually Solomon's son split the kingdom, and he had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And for centuries, sometimes they were at war with each other, or sometimes just leaving each other alone, but they had different kings, and so many of the kings just weren't that great. So many of the kings were a huge disappointment to God and also to the Israelite people. And so to have this idea of another king like David's coming, another good king who we can love and serve without hesitation, that was a beautiful hope ingrained into the people of Israel. And what happens? Jesus the Nazarene. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? You're telling me that the king we've been waiting for came from Nazareth? Philip just says, come and see. When you meet him, I think you'll be amazed. And that's our job. As those who love our king, meet Jesus and be amazed. Fall in love with him. Let who he is and what he does and how he says and being in his very presence just inspire and motivate you in love and service and honor. He's so much more than a good king. He's the perfect king. And whatever other king we might put over our life, We can wholeheartedly, without reservation, without hesitancy, we can love Jesus as our King. Anybody else might let us down, but not King Jesus, not the King who loved us. And so when it comes to all of these ways I've been trying to present Jesus as King, how we submit to him, how we honor him, and how we love him. With all of these ways, Jesus isn't just the focal point. He is also the one that shows us how to do it. He's our example. He's the one that teaches us what submission is. He's the one that teaches us what honor is. And he's definitely the one that teaches us what love is. And when we embrace him as our king, to say, okay, Jesus, teach me. Teach me what submission looks like. Teach me what honor looks like. Teach me what love looks like. And I hope we just turn to Jesus for that.
is there's a lot of competing ideas for what submission should look like, for what honor should look like, for what love should look like. And we shouldn't turn to anyone else for being shown, not just being told, but being shown what it looks like. We shouldn't turn to the media. We shouldn't turn to entertainers. We shouldn't turn to politicians. Now, we have one king, and his name is Jesus. And so he's the one that teaches me how to submit, how to honor, how to love. Donald Trump might be our president right now, but he doesn't teach me those things. And neither did Barack Obama. Neither did George W. or Bill Clinton. We'll go back even farther. The president when I was born was Jimmy Carter, and he's still kicking. He's still alive. I find that pretty amazing. Whatever your favorite president and whoever he was, whether it's someone alive in your time or someone in history, even going back to Lincoln or Washington or you name it, They don't set the bar. They aren't the ones that determine what submission looks like, what honor looks like, what love looks like. For that, we turn to Jesus. For that, we turn to the one, the one king we can fully give our hearts to. Because while I might admire many of the presidents and many of the political leaders of this country over the course of the couple of centuries now, I might respect them. I should respect them. We should. We should pray for them. We should desire what's best for them and for this country and for those around the world as well. But as far as a heart devoted in love, to be, I guess I don't want to mix metaphors too much, but the romantic idea of being swept off our feet, so to speak. My love to Jesus isn't just some date. It's not just some romantic encounter. But it's beholding someone that gets into our hearts. That takes seat in our hearts. That inspires us motivates us, drives us, fills us with love for him, and also now we share of his love for his kingdom. And again, I can't convince you of that necessarily. I can't convince myself of that. All we can do keep coming back again and again to find out who Jesus is. And again, to learn from him what love looks like. There's a repeating line in many of the Psalms. A line, Psalm 100, verse 5, is one of the first places it's mentioned, but it's in many of them. It says, For the Lord is good. His loyal love endures. And he is faithful 
through all generations. His loyal love. When I look, think about Jesus and what kind of love does he teach me to have? And what kind of love is expected of me? Not a romantic love per se, but what kind of love is God looking for when he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind? What kind of love is Jesus looking for as the king over his people, whom he inspires love from us and calls us to love him and to love one another? What does that look like? How does a person love their king? I would say it's a loyal love. It's a steadfast love, your translation might say. It's a persevering love. It's a love that doesn't just begin. It's a love that finishes. And that's the kind of love God has for us that's proven in how he finished his work in Jesus Christ on our behalf. And is going to come again and take us home. Jesus' love is a loyal love for us. And so when he calls, when we're called to love our king, it should be with a loyal love. Let me ask you this. What love is more impressive? A one-year anniversary or a 60-year anniversary? Both are good. You can't get to the 60 without getting to the one. And the one-year celebration of marriage is a great thing to celebrate and acknowledge and appreciate. But 60 years of marriage, 60 years shows it wasn't just infatuation. It wasn't just someone being swept off their feet for a time. It, it shows loyalty, a loyal love, a covenant love, a love that refuses to be broken despite hardships. Because you know, after 60 years, there's hardship. There's hardships in one year. There's a lot more by the time someone gets to 60. And I've met people who have gotten to 60, and I will celebrate with them, encourage them, be amazed by them, want to learn from them. How can you do it? Well, it's not by accident. It's a loyal love. It's a love that refuses to give up. And that's the love God loves us with, and that's the love we're called to love our king with. So what shows a king love? Standing in a parade? Throwing confetti or blowing on a horn or whatever? Or is it showing up Every time you're summoned, month after month, year after year, every time there's a battle to be fought, or every time there's a risky mission to undertake, or every time that the king would call you to his service, a loyal love shows up every time. That doesn't mean that every time it has to be perfect service. We still don't make mistakes. We do. Every servant of Jesus makes mistakes. Just look at the 12 apostles. And yet their loyal love, well, not Judas, but the other 11, their loyal love did not stop. They did not give up. They kept coming back to serve Jesus more. Why? Because Jesus was the king whom they loved. 
Jesus was the king whom they couldn't help but love. They wanted to keep serving, to keep following. He was king of their hearts. And that's what I hope for me. It's what I hope for you that we see Jesus as more than a king. This whole series of lessons has been because I think sometimes we miss Jesus as king when really that idea should be first. When we come to know Jesus to begin with, and when we think of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, and we've talked about this, that to know him as king is inherent to that, and we shouldn't skip over that. But whenever we do grasp Jesus as king, or in some ways begin to, then we can appreciate all the more when he calls us friend, when he calls us brother, when he says, love me because I first loved you. I loved you first. That's a king, not just who sits and rules high and mighty and tells me what to do. He invites me into his presence, gives me a seat at his table, calls me friend, calls me brother. And invites me to share in his glorious eternity, his eternal kingdom forever. All the while, asking very little of me. He asks for everything I've got, but that's not much. Everything you've got, but that's not much. What he wants is the heart of it. Show me your loyal love, your unending love, your steadfast love. Your love that doesn't give up. Because your king doesn't give up on you. I hope we see that. I hope we embrace that. And I hope that as I continue to preach and teach, and hopefully, keep saying hopefully this coronavirus thing is going to end. Here I went and caught it, but hopefully it will. Two shall pass. Jesus won't stop loving us, and we shouldn't stop loving him as our king.